Hey everybody, welcome to The Lawyer's Daughter. It's Jennifer Carroll, and I wanna to talk to you today about victim impact statements, uh, because it's, man, has it been a lot of stuff flying around, and I find it very interesting that both the points of view, the different jurisdictions, the challenge our folks are up against, and what's kinda of going on behind the scenes. But I wanna start first with a thank you to all of you who have sent me so much support for my last podcast, which I will agree was ridiculously emotional. I mean, ridiculous that I, that it got to that point and I'm so pissed that so much happened that got me to that point. But at the same time, um, for those of you that haven't heard any of my other podcasts, that's not usually how I am. But I, I, I just can't tell you in this case, when we have a case that's going to be not remembered by a big trial um, transcript because there's been no trial. What's going to be left for everybody are the artifacts of what's happened. And so in the case of my family, there's been so much stuff that's published that's been wrong. And frankly, people have been horrific about the things they've said about Charlene that I, I feel a real responsibility as my dad's daughter and Charlene's stepdaughter to do everything I can to keep things as accurate as possible. Some of you have suggested maybe that's not my job. I got to tell you, this job doesn't come with a job description. And there's so many things that have happened that I, I do think a lot about what it is I should and shouldn't care about. But what I can't get over is how supportive my listeners have been. There's a few folks that have said, oh my God, this woman's so neurotic. I'm like, oh yeah, that's for sure true. I mean, I've always been neurotic. Hello, welcome to me. But the, but, so I kind of laugh when I see those. I'm like, oh yeah, shocking. It takes, it, I got to tell you, it takes a kind of um, a thicker skin than I expected even to do this podcast. And I, and I have been blessed. I can't say this enough. I have been blessed with such a good audience. I mean, it is rare when I get people being mean or um, rude, just rare. So I really appreciate that about all of you. If you've even thought rude or mean things and you kept it to yourself, God love you. Just God love you. Because that's, I really appreciate that personal sense of editing because uh, that's always hard. It's always hard. And, and I do, and I actually enjoy the engagement. So I do like when you send me a note or you, um, you know, leave a comment or whatever that is. I just, I do appreciate it. Sometimes I feel overwhelmed and it's hard to, overwhelmed from appreciation. It's hard to reply in a way that shares the love that you shared, but it does, it really does help and it really does matter. So I want to thank you for that. I want to tell you I'm feeling much better, not because of the show, whatever, I get it, whatever. But on the other hand, I'm trying to Look at this again from a bigger standpoint and what concerns me most right now is how open case files were made available because honestly none of this would have happened if those open case files hadn't been made available and so that's really what i'm trying to understand now it just baffles me i'm just i just don't know what anybody was thinking that i mean it just seems like people weren't thinking like their jobs they were thinking like humans they were thinking like I don't know what, but somewhere, somehow, somebody didn't do their job. And that's the part that disappoints me. And that is what really created all of this. So, okay, let's let that go. We're moving on. We're totally moving on because I need to tell you about victim impact statements. So um, it's been 40 years since the hearing. No, I don't know how long it's been since the hearing. It seems like it was so long ago. Isn't it funny how a pandemic both makes you feel like time is crawling by and at the same time, it's going faster than crap? Like, we're in the middle of July and what have we got to show for it? Well, I have a convicted felon, so that's great. I mean, that's actually something amazing to show for it. Um, probably the only upside of 2020 is we got that done. And we and I have to say the ballroom, so I'm gonna tell you about the ballroom. So the ballroom at Sac State was big and huge and amazing. And I think it was just kind of the perfect 
cherry on the top of the shit cupcake that we were in such a weird situation where we were in such a big space. Um, as I said, it was certainly nice not to be crowded and not to be packed into a, into a small courtroom where we're crawling over one another and everything. But the ballroom, I guess, had its own set of issues in terms of an administrative issue from a Sacramento point of view. Apparently, it was very expensive. Now, that doesn't surprise me because the school was essentially closed. They had to open up the facility. They had to probably clean the facility before we got there just to make sure, even though it's been pretty much closed down since COVID. I doubt there was any virus laying around the, the facility. But then they had to clean it after we left, and then they had to bring in support. And had they, they man The event was really well managed. I have to say, as somebody who's done events, I thought it was remarkably well managed. Media off to one side, but also had, you know, we had lots of space outdoors. We had easy parking, all of that. But I guess it was a cost that was significant. I don't know the dollar amount. I'm sure we could FOIA that if we wanted to know. I don't know that it makes a big difference because we were facing costs no matter what anyway, just because this thing was going to be huge and it was either going to be a trial. You know, at one point there was a bill in the California legislature to get uh, AB something or other, um, Assembly Bill something, 138, I can't remember, but it's in my blog somewhere. But there was a bill to get 21 million funded directly from the state of California because this thing was such an interjurisdictional hot mess and an, ex and an expensive mess. So we did save the taxpayers a lot of money by moving forward with the plea, but there was absolutely out-of-pocket expenses for Sacramento, and I hope the other jurisdictions kicked in, but I don't know if they did. It would be interesting just to understand how that worked in a forensic accounting point of view, because I don't, I really don't know how it works when it's cross jurisdictions like that. But, th but there was an expense. And also it removed some of the formality of court. And that was a concern, I, I guess, across the board on the legal side, which is, you know, normally you're in court, the very nature of a courtroom requires a certain amount of dignity and respect and decorum, all those words that we all heard if you, especially if you went to a school where the nuns were watching, you know, decorum was a word that everybody talked about back in the day. Anyway, in a courtroom, there's a certain amount of respect, decorum, there's rituals, there's uh, a way you're supposed to be. And by having it in a ballroom, they made, there were some definite trade-offs. I'll tell you one trade-off that I found that, that was hard for me, but I think it was important the way it happened. But typically the defendant is not facing the gallery like that. So think of us in the ballroom floor as the gallery. Normally that's, you know, the audience, like if you're in a theater, that's the, the seats in the theater. Normally the defendant doesn't face the gallery. Their back is to the gallery and they're facing the judge. In this case, he was kind of looking at the judge when he was uttering words, but really that wasn't how this was set up. So in many ways, I feel for the defense attorneys because that was that was a marathon to have to sit up there and know that we're out all in the out in the audience staring at them. And then I think we've shared that the the victims were kind of on the right and the law enforcement crowd, all of them, whether they're from the justice side or the the police side, they were on the right, and then the media was in the back, and then in the back, I mean on the left, the I'm sorry, law enforcement was on the left, and then there was a a platform with media both on the far left corner, which is where you get some of those interesting wide shots of the whole room. And then there were some, um, the, the feed and the uh, camera people were also directly behind us. So as I sat facing D'Angelo, they were directly behind me in the way back up on a platform again so that they could broadcast what was happening. So that is really different than how a courtroom would have been. It would have been much more like we've typically seen in the jail courtroom. And so I have joked that this dang trial, this whole thing has happened. This biggest case in California has happened. And we haven't even been in a formal courtroom yet. 
but we might be for the victim impact statements and sentencing. And that the reason, there's a couple of reasons for that. One is of course expense, like just managing the cost as I understand it, they're working hard to, to try to bring this in in an affordable way. Okay, I get that. Second of all, I think these victim impact statements are gonna be all over the place. So we're gonna have long ones and short ones, vitriolic and um, emotional, you know, well, it'll be all over the place. And I don't know how many are gonna happen, how many people are gonna get to do them, but I'm gonna share some of what I do know with you. So stand by for that in just a second. Uh, and, and I do not know yet if they're going to YouTube it, but I can't imagine they wouldn't. There's really no reason not to. Um, it, it would be easy. And, and all you have to do is um, set that up for camera. Does it, the, the size of the room and the courthouse and all of that is, it wouldn't matter. They would just have to make it. You, you've seen it from the county courthouse. County court, the county courtrooms, um, county jail courtroom, sorry. It's the county jail courtrooms, not just the big county courtroom. So, okay, what you're hearing me do is move to let my stupid cat out because apparently cats and recordings are a big deal these days. If they're recording, they're going to show up. Okay, so imagine then we're going to be potentially in a courtroom. Media will have to be there for some of it. The All the jurisdictional uh, prosecutors would be there, of course, for sentencing and for these victim impact statements. From Ventura, I don't know how many we're going to have. I don't think it's a lot. I know my brothers have deferred to me. I'm still waiting to hear from my uncle, my dad's brother, because I would like to hear from him. And I believe Charlene's cousin and maybe her um, best friend are going to have statements. So that will be, that's small, like, that's just a few of us. And then something came out that just today, I think that um, is interesting because it starts to limit how many there will be. And I guess, pragmatically, there does need to be a limit. Now that's a limit for reading them out loud. That's not a limit for how many statements can be submitted to the court. They can, the court can take as many statements. There's, I've seen nothing that says that victims can't submit a statement to the court regardless of, uh, I mean, especially, I'm sorry, to put in the record, regardless of reading them out loud, there's just a limit to how many people will be allowed to speak out loud. But I cannot find anything in all of this that would limit anybody sending in a victim impact statement especially since we know we have crimes that he wasn't charged for, but he did commit. So I am, I see nothing that prevents anyone out there, anybody listening to this who would like to, to send a letter to the judge, to send a letter to the judge. Do it in care of, in fact, hang on a second, I'll tell you exactly where. Um, as I go through these different documents that I have, the, I think it's to victim services. So let me just pull this up and take a quick look at the bottom because I had it on here. Um, Yes, it goes into the victim advocate. So it's the Sacramento Victim and Witness Assistance Program out of the Sacramento District Attorney's Office. You could mail it there and you would need to do that by the end of the month if you are not talking. So what's happened, so originally they told us at the plea hearing, I believe they told us that those statements would be due on August 1st. But since then, actually midweek last week, we got a note saying, oh, we need them a week early. Well, that's a big deal and I'll tell you why it's a big deal and it has mostly to do with how we manage our how we're managing ourselves as we get through this and this is um, some of us have talked about this is that we got through with that hearing at the last the, basically the 4th of July week right it was that Monday but then we went into 4th of July that weekend for so many of us that was like I need a shower week just we got to just get this get over this and and everybody that I talked to was feeling better now that the plea was done so it was kind of this amazing week of just letting go. Tons of people sleeping, eating, resting, recuperating, flying home. All of that happened that week. And then the next week was the week to pretend like 
we didn't have this crap in our lives and maybe just take a look around and for the first time be able to see our friends and see what's going on around us and be like, oh my God, this is, it's a different world now. It's a completely different world. And then we got word of the deadline moving up and that was a shocker because we were pacing ourselves or some of us were. A few people had written their statements already. God love them. They were the ones, you know, those were the people that did their homework first. What's wrong with those kind of people? I don't know. God love you people that do your homework first. I always did my homework last. So a bunch of people did, weren't planning to sit down and write, but now the, the clock is ticking because they're due on, I think it's the 23rd, which is just roughly seven days from now. So they're due. And so that's thrown us for a bit of a loop. But the other thing that's happened is there's been this um, clarification on the process. So I'm going to share with you what I think is interesting here because there's Marcy's Law in California. And I did a podcast about Marcy's Law. So go back and listen to that if you haven't listened to it, if you want to understand Marcy's Law. It's a, a law that was adopted in California. It has a lot of good stuff in it. It has some things that are a little bit concerning if you ever are a defendant. But it, the intention is good. And other states have, have adopted Marcy's Law. You can Google it. It's Marcy's with an S though. M-A-R-S-Y. So if you Google it, it's Marcy's Law with an S. Um, you can see if your state has the law. Some states are still working to get it passed. They were looking at having a federal Marcy's Law. Like I said, there's still some things kind of not perfect about it because it's not particularly balanced. And you may say, Jen, when you're a victim, why do things need to be balanced? But they need to be balanced because that's the way we do things. And, and someday you could... You or someone you love could be a defendant. And so you really do want to, I believe you really do. I'll qualify that. I do believe that we should want a world where it's fair and that it's balanced. That seems reasonable and it seems wise. So anyway, we have Marcy's Law. Marcy's Law says we get to have a victim impact statement. And if you recall, Judge Bowman had said to Victor during the hearing when Victor didn't want to be John Doe and he said, say my name. I don't want to be John Doe. Say my name. And the judge said you get to talk during your victim impact statement. So we've been living the last few months, especially since March, thinking, okay, this is going to happen. We're going to get to say what we need to say. And the one caveat we have been told is that you cannot address D'Angelo unless you ask the judge and the judge says okay. Now, upon further investigation that's happened over the last few days, I know now that our particular judge does not love it and does not really like people addressing the defendant. I guess, is he still a defendant? What is he now? He's a convict. So the judge doesn't like people addressing the convict. But apparently you can say something like, if I were able to address the convict, here's what I would say. So you can kind of, I call that gaming it, but you can game it. That's like kind of a third person or hypothesis or however you want to say. So you could, you can do that, but you can't just say, I'm going to just turn to D'Angelo and talk. And I suspect from everything that, from the folks that have been doing this research, it has not been me. Um, the judge is pretty serious about that. In fact, the word on the street, he was quite surprised that Jane got away with what Jane got away with in the, in the ballroom. And it's probably because we weren't in a courtroom. It wouldn't have happened in a courtroom. So being mindful of that and thinking about what that means, uh, it, it, that's, that, that's the biggest constraint. But what's happened then, now, now we think about this. Okay, this case is giant. There are a lot of people who might have a statement. Um, they don't want this to last, you know, weeks. They want it to be efficient and yet responsive. So it has led to confusion about what it is we're supposed to do in these victim impact statements. I think three weeks ago, I posted the victim impact statement guidelines from Ventura up on Google Drive. Um, I think that's up there. 
I'll, I'll try to make sure I put a link in the description of this one too. So you can see them. I'll get these, both of these documents put up. If you just want to see them yourself, uh, I'll post them. So I'll put links in the, in the description of this podcast. So you can go get those links. Um, if you can't, you should be able to see it on Podbean, if nowhere else. Podbean is the tool I'm using to do the podcast. So if you go to lawyersdaughter.podbean.com, for sure, I know that I put the links in there for sure. Okay, so Sacrament, so Ventura sent me theirs, and I'm going to share you with you Ventura's because I think it's really interesting and actually better than the one we got from Sacramento. I'm going to start with sharing the one we got from Sacramento because they managed to pound it out in one page. And I don't know if this is what they send all the time or if they did this just for us. But it's it's interesting because the Sacramento one's pretty tight and pretty, I, I don't want to say it's narrowly defined because this is called suggestions. They literally call it suggestions. But they are being fairly prescriptive in what they want us to do. So let me share with you what this one says. The victim impact statement is a personal statement made by you and or your family to the court to express the impact of the crime has had on your life. It is made at the time of judgment and sentencing of a defendant. Oh, they still do call it a defendant. Okay. It is made at the time of judgment and sentencing of a defendant who has entered a guilty plea or was found guilty at a jury trial. So he is still a defendant. That's really interesting. It is the opportunity for you and your family to be heard by the court. Now begins the helpful hints. Your statement is your own personal expression of your reaction to the crime. I think I just botched that word, but it's your own personal expression of your reaction to the crime. Your statement is addressed to the court, not the defendant. If the defendant entered a guilty plea and you or your family disagrees with the plea, it is appropriate to include your reaction to it in the statement. Hmm, interesting. I could see that happening. There could be a time when you say, no, I want some mercy or whatever. Cursing name-calling, and or making threats is inappropriate. There is no standard statement or length of statement. Please remember, however, that if it is, sorry, every time I read this sentence, I laugh. Okay, I'll try not to laugh. Please remember, however, that if it is extremely long, those listening to you may lose interest. Why, yes, they might. It is recommended that you write the statement so that if you become too upset to personally address the court, it could be read for you or submitted to the judge. Remember, this is your right. You are not required to make a statement. It is most powerful when expressed by you. You may wish to include how the crime affected you and your family. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Batch that one. It may, you may wish to include how the crime affected you and your family members physically, psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually. The list below can be used as a guide to help you in structuring your statement. Okay, there's something mentioned in that paragraph that came up today, which I think is really interesting, and that is that um, if you if you are if people lose interest, or if you write the here it is, this is the statement. If you write the statement, so write it down because if you become too upset to personally address the court. So one of the anecdotes victim services has shared with us is that sometimes, especially if you think you're going to act out or do something that you planned that you're kind of kind of try to snooker the process and uh, that when the judge tells you to stop it, people get flustered then and lose their place and actually kind of lose their courage or their mojo or whatever that, I, I think of the adrenaline pumping through your veins that's helping you make this kind of statement because God knows I'm going to have adrenaline. It's This is a big deal. Uh, then people lose their way and then their statement suddenly falls apart because they got interrupted by the judge because they did something that nobody knew about. I thought that was so interesting to hear the anecdotes that that's happened often because I think witnesses or victims come in and think they're going to like, I'm going to let him have it. And then the judge says, no, and there you are, you're stuck. So 
It's, I never thought about that. I just never thought about it. You just think you're going to go in and execute and leave. And in fact, no, like there's something that could distract you or something could go haywire. So I just thought that was really interesting. And I wanted to share that because I think it's something to keep in mind. If you ever do have to do anything like this, make sure you know where you are. Make sure you know that you could be interrupted and how you're going to recover and all of that. It's just I hadn't really considered it. And I, and I do a lot of public speaking and that, that was such a good point. I would probably make a bad joke. Um, okay, so here, then they give us some examples. Here, an example. One, emotional impact, spiritual struggles, effects on our relationships. Two, financial impact, loss or replacement of property. Three, memories, nightmares, preoccupied thoughts, inability to process thoughts. Okay, that's just like anybody who's been through trauma, hello. And then four, daily routines, requirements, and activities in the future. So those are just some things to think about, kind of prompts, almost writing prompts. Then it says you have the options as to how you may address the court. Now, these are the ways you could do it if you what, after you get your statement done. Attend the sentencing and personally speak about the impact of the crime or present a videotape or audio tape of your statement. Hey, didn't know you could do that. Hmm, interesting. Two, attend the sentencing and have someone read your statement for you. The law states it should be the deputy district attorney, but most courts will allow a victim advocate, family member, or friend to read it on your behalf. Three, not attend the sentencing but submit either a written statement, audio tape, or videotape of your statement. You may provide this to your victim advocate or the deputy district attorney. And in fact, it's interesting because Cheryl said if, if there was any reason I didn't want to do it or if there was someone in my family that she would read it for them, for them if, she want, if they wanted her to. So that's kind of nice. I mean, ugh, Cheryl reading a statement, that'd be awesome. Okay, and then four, not attend the sentencing and just have your statement included in the probation report. Please notify the victim advocate and or the deputy district attorney involved in your decision. If you wish for your impact statement to be included in the defendant's probation report, which will be included in the prison file, you must submit the statement to the assigned probation officer prior to the sentencing date in a timely manner. Okay, so that's something we have to do is we have to get that to the probation officer, which is weird because this guy's never going into probation. So for us, this is kind of superfluous. The probation office should contact you to get the crime impact information and determine whether restitution should be ordered for financial losses you sustained due to the crime. If you are not contacted, you may call one of the following numbers. And then they give us the two um, probation officers in Sacramento County. Please remember that the victim advocates are here to assist you if you have any questions regarding your statement. So, of course... We've been asking them lots of questions. Now, not me, because I have Ventura. This came out of Sacramento, interestingly enough. Then Ventura, just at the end of last week, sent me this Sacramento one. And I think you guys have heard before that we all get different things, which it makes it kind of crazy. So I'm actually glad to have both. But I would like to compare it to what Ventura sent me, because I think it's much more complete and actually explains this process a little bit more. So that was Sacramento's. You just heard Sacramento's short and sweet. It's a one-pager. Like I said, I'll post it so you can take a look at it. Here's what Ventura sends out. And um, so what is a victim? And let me see if it just says suggestions again. Nope, it's just called victim impact statement. What is a victim impact statement and how is it used? As a crime victim, you have the opportunity to prepare a victim impact statement to describe how this crime affected you and others close to you. This statement allows for you to write about the physical, emotional, and financial effects of the crime, as well as any other changes in your life you may have experienced. If the defendant pleads guilty or is found guilty after trial, your impact statement will help the judge understand how this crime has affected you and those close to you. Okay, that's a great paragraph because now I really do understand how these are used and it's designed to help the judge understand. Now, again, we're talking about a horrific crime. In this case, I, don't, I know the judge is very clear. How many times did he have to read every charge? 
Our judge has no problem understanding um, what this man has done. But it's, I, I think if it was any other crime, especially crimes that anyone listening to this, I hope to God never has to go through the crimes we've been through. But it's really interesting to know how this works in the context of how a victim impact statement um, affects the judge and how he or she is making decisions. Okay, so who can write a statement to the court? Anyone who wishes to write a statement to the court may do so. This is super important for any of you listening who may not be included in the formal process, but still feels like you are a victim of D'Angelo. And in fact, I'm going to start a Facebook group for anybody who feels like they were a victim of D'Angelo, just because uh, I've reached out and have people reaching out to me. And I've been trying to build that little um, spreadsheet database thing of, of what we're seeing so that we could put like people together and start to see if there's any patterns that are any patterns of his criming that are beyond the scope of what we were dealing with for this this trial specifically. But uh, so just keep in mind, anyone who wishes to write a statement to the court may do so. And again, you'd send that into victim services. There are usually many people in a victim's life who are also affected by the crime. However, there is a limitation on who can make a verbal impact statement at the sentencing. I'd almost even say oral. Check with your victim advocate to see who will be allowed to make a verbal statement to the court. Okay, so that the next section is that the victim impact statement is voluntary. You do not have to write a victim impact statement. However, it may be helpful to the judge when he or she decides what sentence the defendant should receive and or any money the defendant may have to pay you for expenses you have paid or owed because of this crime. Now, this is the first time where it's... Sacramento briefly mentions it, but they're going to say more about this. And I think it's interesting because we haven't really talked about restitution or his financial, you know, his financial consequences. And of course, I know he doesn't have any assets anymore, but that's kind of not my problem. That's somebody else's problem to figure out. But let me tell you what else it says. Then it says, when the judge makes the defendant pay the victim, it's called restitution. If the judge orders the defendant to pay you restitution, there is no guarantee that the defendant will be able to pay the entire amount. Your statement will become an official court document after it is given to the court and will become part of the defendant's permanent file. Okay, everybody out there whose knees shake when you hear the idea of the permanent record, I thought that was funny because it's like the defendant's permanent file. The judge, prosecutor, and probation officer, so get that, the judge, the prosecutor, and probation officer will read your statement. In addition, prison and parole officials may read your statement if the defendant is sentenced to a prison term. The defendant and the defendant's attorney will also be able to read what you have written. However, the defendant will not be able to see your address and telephone number because you are asked not to put them on your statement. Well, they only don't get to see it as long as you remember not to put your personal information on the statement. Hopefully they would black that out with the nice big old fat Sharpie if it did pass through. But this, I want to go back to this important point because it says the defendant and the defendant's attorney will also read what you have written. Some of the victims are concerned that they will read this, of course, before court. And I, as I understand it, that could happen. Absolutely. Now, personally, in my opinion, and it's clearly my opinion, I don't think D'Angelo gives a flying you-know-what, and I, don't, I can't imagine him wanting to see these statements. In fact, our statements are going to create a book. I mean, this is going to be so interesting what our statements are, but I can't imagine him wanting to read them. On the other hand, he has nothing else to do, so maybe he would, I, 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 but I just don't think that's going to be something that interests him. Okay, Next paragraph. You have the right to speak to the judge at the time of sentencing. If you would like to do so, please contact our office right away and we'll help set this up to you. 
um, I'm sorry, and will help set this up for you. You also have the right to give your impact statement in the form of an audio or videotape. If you'd like to do this, please let us know for, so we can get this squared away. Okay, so that's everything consistent with Sacramento, like you can get up there and talk. No one knows better than you how this crime may have changed your life. Those of us involved in your case believe it is very important for you to help the court understand all of the ways this crime has affected you and those near you. Thank you for taking the time to provide us with this information. Okay, then they go into their guidelines and they call them suggestions. And um, I think, that, again, it's a, it's a little more information than the Sacramento one. The following suggestions are offered only as a guide. Feel free to write in your own words how this crime has affected you and those close to you. Include in your statement the following the emotional impact of this crime on you and those close to you, the physical effects of this crime, and the effect of the crime on your ability to work or do any of the things you normally do, such as going to school, running a household, or any other activities you normally perform or enjoy. It's so funny because I never really thought about the impact on my normal life, except that since he's been arrested, it absolutely has impacted my life in ways I just never imagined. And I suspect had he not been arrested, it, it, it w I wouldn't have gone through the kind of self-reflection, feelings, the renewed connection with my dad and Charlene. Like there's some upside and some downside to what's happened in the last year. So it's really interesting to think about, especially for me, this crime with a 40-year gap. Like that's, you know, this is such a unique thing. And I think any of you out there who also had experience with the East Area Rapist, like you too may feel like, wow, like 40 years, that's a long time. And yet you still always lock your windows at night or you've never felt safe getting in a car by yourself or whatever that is. It's just funny how these things change you. I continue. If you have paid or owed any money for bills because of this crime, include this information in your statement. It's important to be as accurate and as complete as possible when listing your costs because this information will be used by the prosecutor, probation officer, and the judge to help them determine what restitution the defendant must pay you, the victim. Some examples of expenses you may have paid or owed do include medical bills or supplies, dental expenses, eyeglasses or hearing aid replacement, counseling costs, lost wages or support, this one really got me, funeral expenses, lost, stolen or damaged property, which may include crime scene cleanup. Oh my God, you guys, crime scene cleanup, I think I've told you, there was fingerprint dust everywhere. And I am not alone. Everyone I've talked to, fingerprint dust. That stuff is the worst, that graphite, sticky stuff. Um, crime scene cleanup and the repair or replacement of door locks and security device devices. It is important to attach copies of any bills or other proof of any money you have spent or expect to spend in the future. Bwah ha 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 ha. Those are long sunk costs. Make sure to keep copies of the bills in your records. In addition to medical or counseling bills, you may want to include any time off from work that you were not paid for as a result of this crime. For example, if you took time off from work to go to the doctor or the courthouse and your employer did not pay you for this time, you may want to ask the judge to think about those expenses when he or she decides if the defendant will owe you any restitution. You may also record the mileage for travel to the courthouse. Okay, that, these are clearly for like much more uh, uh, immediate crimes, things that are contemporary, not this 40-year gaps. And then there's a section on crime victim compensation. And I actually didn't know about this. Now, coming out of Ventura, I finally found out what happened. It's because of how Ventura's victim assistance didn't, what they did apparently is in this case, this D'Angelo case, because it was such a, a, I'll call it a red ball. What TV show used to call these things a red ball? But anyway, it's, it was such a hot case and so potentially um, not controversial, but you know, like the media might try to get stuff. They just locked it down. And so because they locked it down, I didn't find out about a lot of the victim stuff. I just learned that a couple weeks ago. So there you go. Did you know that you might be able to receive financial help from the Crime Victim Compensation Program? 
This program can pay a victim benefit for certain types of out-of-pocket expenses for physical or emotional injuries reserved as a direct result of the crime. Those expenses include medical bills, counseling costs, funeral bills, lost wages, and support. This is not the same as restitution. You may be able to receive money to help you with some of your medical bills even before you go to court. And that is the one thing, so I've, I'm still in the process of filling out the paperwork, but I am now going to the counselor that a lot of the victims up here are go, up here in Sacramento are going to um, because I figured she knows so, she knows so much about what's been happening that I thought, oh, I really want to take advantage of this. So I am going to use that, those services. Um, you will have to meet certain conditions to receive victim, crime victim compensation benefits, but you can file for benefits immediately following the crime, even if no arrest has been made. So, the, okay, all of you guys out there, if you're a victim of a crime, especially one that's done some sort of personal injury, if you need help, counseling, whatever that is, crime victim compensation, that's a thing. This is California. You're going to need to see what it is for your state, and it could be limited to your county. I don't know how this breaks down. I mean, look at this one. This, just this document has been so different from Sacramento. So even there's a difference between Sacramento and Ventura on how they handle victim assistance. But I think the victim compensation is a California uh, state fund. And I think we all fill out the same paperwork because that's, I've been told I, it's all the same. So check to see how your victim compensation works in your states. But in California, you have some remedies so that hopefully you could at least get counseling, which I think is the most important thing. We three kids never went to counseling. Like mom did not send us to counseling after the murder. And I know like you hit your forehead and go, what? And I still bug her about it today. But the, th the reality is back then counseling wasn't, counseling was like marriage counseling. If you think back in the late seventies, that's when all these marriages were busting up. And the only time you really heard about counseling is like, oh, they're seeing a counselor. They went to marriage encounter or they're getting counseling. It was, it just wasn't trauma. Nobody talked about trauma. I mean, that's some of the problem here. It just wasn't seen as a thing that left a lasting impression. And now we know, my God, if you're a human and you haven't been traumatized, I, what bubble are you living in? Like we humans are so, so likely to have been traumatized by something because there's just so much happening in our world. So if you can get counseling, I highly recommend it. I think it's good. You got to find a good counselor, but use word of mouth, get a good counselor. That is my TED talk. Thank you for coming. Anyway, now that the rest is just how to go about doing this, but I'll, I will post this as well. So you can take a look. I have, but I'll make sure you have the links. And, um, and so, okay, so that's, that's it. Those are the two official statements. But then what started to happen as we are want to do as a squad is that we started talking to one another and folks, and, and I think this is an interesting dynamic. And now I'm going to, um, take a tiny sociological pivot, because if you think about it, generally, generally, we are a group of women who had something happen to us way, way back we, we share a gener generational connection, right? It happened way, way back in the late 70s. And generationally, we're very similar in that regard, even though um, every woman that I know here has gone on to become a remarkable woman and not, not particularly tied to the old um, tropes about what women, women are to be seen and not heard kind of thing. But leave it to a group of women to think they're telling us to be good girls and they're telling us we're not allowed to talk. So because of that, because of that perspective, because that, that's the thing I think that for the women, and I don't know how the men are feeling because they don't tell us, but for the women, like, don't you even begin to tell me what I'm supposed to think or talk about. I mean, we're just like righteous right now, especially, especially so many of these sexual assault victims who really were told not to talk about it. Just don't talk about it. It's a secret. So 
Um, this was posted in our group and, and I was told this is not confidential, so it's okay if I share this with you, but I just wanted to show you how this, how this, we keep going back for questions, clarifying, clarifying, because that good girl thing comes up and everybody who's been a good girl knows exactly what I'm talking about. So Amy Halliday answered some questions. She is the prosecutor in Sac one of the prosecutors in Sacramento. And she actually talked with Carol Daly uh, in our, on our behalf, which was probably, it's weird to me, but on the other hand, probably really smart because Carol knows how to get the word to all of us. So I will read to you what this says. Amy heard that some of us are upset that they have to submit their statements and that some comments might be censored. Amy wants everyone to know that, that asking for the statements to be a said, I'm sorry, I botched that one. Amy wants everyone to know that asking for the statements ahead of time was for the following reasons. They need to know how many people will be making impact statements. They need to know about how long each statement will be to plan for the time it takes. They need to coordinate who is coming, where are they coming from, and what days they can schedule them. The minute I see that, days, I'm like, okay, this is gonna take a while. The statements need to follow the guidelines given by their office. They are not going to edit or delete them, but they wanna make sure the impact statements meet the guidelines. So that's really good. There is not, not going to be any censorship. I know they're not going to um, they're not going to allow for hijinks either, but there's not going to be any censorship. So that that for me that's incredibly important. Only those cases that were read at the plea hearing will be allowed to give oral statements. So that immediately limits the scope in terms of how many statements will sit through that will be read out loud. It's that's still a lot, guys. I'm just going to tell you that's a lot of people, and that could be that could be for a family. Like it's not gonna happen in my family, but for example, it could be me and both my brothers and my uncle and, and, and. So there you go. I mean, that's still the counts that were, that still just the crimes that recovered that day, but that, that could be, it could be a lot of people just around that. You know, a kid might wanna talk about their parent, um, a survivor, uh, the, the, the victim could say it, it, it hastened my, my mother's death. Like you don't know what, this thing did to different families. So we could really see, hear some interesting stories that are not about the crimes, but about the impact of the crime. And then she said, uh, then it says, it wraps up with, there's a lot to coordinate regarding the impact statements, how many days it'll take. They want it to run smoothly, just like the plea hearing, which the plea hearing did move very smoothly. And then Amy stressed that the guidelines were sent out by their department and that they need to be followed. If there's any questions they can, um, that we can work with victim services, which is great. They do, like, we do have a great victim services up here in Sacramento. I've worked with them a lot. They've taken me under their wing as it were. So they're great. So this is just so you know, I just want to share this stuff behind the scenes because I know our case is big and complicated and there's a lot of us and everything, but it's also interesting to me how this, this thing is going to get choreographed and how we're going to get through it. And I, this will be so interesting. I, I'm, I can't say I'm looking forward to it. Oh, and then I'm sorry, I'll add one more part that I heard from Cheryl, which is then after all this, we all, all the oration, then it comes down to the sentencing and they're making every effort to have every victim possible in the room for the sentencing. Apparently it's quite moving. Um, I don't know how to interpret that moving. Uh, you can imagine, but it is a significant moment. I have been told um, now I listen to Cheryl for everything because she told me that things might feel better after plea and she was right. So uh, so the sentencing then happens after all of these statements. So this, uh, then, then, then the circus should leave town. That's what I'm hoping will be done. Now, the last thing I'm going to end this podcast with because this will not surprise you. California's COVID numbers are on the rise. I don't know how to get all y'all people to wear your darn masks, but wear your masks. Nobody needs to get sick with this thing. It's awful. It's awful. So, 
because COVID cases are on the rise, the governor just shut down a bunch of different kinds of services in the state for right now. And there is a chance we could continue to rise into August. And if that happens, there again is a chance. I can't give you odds. See Vegas. I don't know what the odds are on this, but we could get bumped. I hope we don't get bumped because I really would like this nightmare to be over by the end of this um, stupid pretend pandemic summer anyway. I'd like to just be done as we move into the fall, but um, nobody cares what I want. So there you go. I'm just hoping that we get to pull this off and maybe, I don't, I don't know how they're going to do it. I just, this, what an extra, extra thing this is to worry about social distancing and masks and people's health on top of everything else. Um, also, I, I heard through the grapevine, I won't tell you which grapevine, that D'Angelo is continuing to lose weight. So there's that too. He he could maybe not be here by the time we get around to it. So those two things always sit out there as odd, weird variables that could affect this thing. Okay, that's it for today. I'm going to I'm going to dive into something a little bit different, but also kind of related to this uh, in my next podcast. I just need to do a little bit more research because I want to um, talk about it in terms of uh, the law and and what's going on. And so that's that's coming up for the next pod. I don't plan to quit podcasting quite yet. There's a bunch of people I want to talk to after sentencing because they have been told to be quiet until after sentencing. So fingers crossed I get to talk to them after. But I am feeling like we're starting to move forward again, which is good. And again, thank you. Thank you for all your support. I truly, truly appreciate it. Until next time, 